On this episode of AvTalk, we look at the preliminary report from the crash of Pakistan International Airlines Flight A303. We also discuss the recent disturbing news about fraudulent pilot's licenses in Pakistan and the response of authorities around the world. Meanwhile, the 737 MAX has begun certification flights with the FAA, and July is set to bring a variety of changes to airline fleets and schedules. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. And how are you, Ian? I'm doing well, Jason. New spoons have been carved. I've manufactured my own spoon butter, and I have really gone down the rabbit hole of woodworking. Yeah. For those who don't <laughs> follow you on Twitter, they'll probably be a little confused right now. The pandemic crafting, quarantine crafting continues. But, but things are looking up as, as my oldest son is now back at summer camp. The school that he was attending is now, well, the school year's over, but they're now doing a summer camp, a socially distanced summer camp, which is it's just the, one of the most adorable and also heartbreaking things I, I think I've ever seen. Is it possible to socially distance children his age at a summer camp? Yeah, they, I mean, they play outside a lot. So that, you know, kind of keeps them, them separated and things like that. But indoors, they have like a workstation where they've, you know, got their own dedicated toys and they're doing a lot of science experiments and things like that where the the teacher can help the individual kids do individual things. So, I mean, it seems to be working so far and he loves it. He's so happy to be, you know, I out of the go. house. And I am so happy to have him out of the house. I love my son. I'm just glad he's getting a little outside the house and away from me time. Will he learn how to carve any spoons while he's out? Probably not at summer camp, but we are definitely working on uh, getting him some some outdoors experience. Either way, we've been camping a few times because it's very easy to socially distance yourselves when there's no one around you in the woods. Yeah, it's kind of the whole point. We're enjoying exactly, exactly. It's the whole point. So we're doing that, but things are things are doing doing well. How are you, sir? Uh the same. <laughs> so okay good talk it's june right now by the time you listen to this it will be july and pretty much the same i was in march and april and may and then june and then now uh, it's almost july right yeah that's all i got all right well i mean things are changing i guess maybe staying the same i don't it, it's really tough to say what 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 is going on as far as where we're located but Generally in the U.S., things are not looking good. Well, things are looking better elsewhere. Well, here in New York, we're, we're very much in the told you so phase. So we are long past our peak and now we're watching everywhere else peak within and outside of the U.S. And we can't help but think, or I can't help but think, uh, we told you so and you should have been more careful and you weren't. And now this is all happening. So once upon a time, I guess in March, April, May, other states in the US were floating the idea of a quarantine for New Yorkers coming into their state. Rhode Island had something, Florida had something, and now we've flipped that in reverse as uh, we were being very careful at the time. Other states have been a lot less careful, and now we are imposing this kind of quasi fake, not really quarantine on other states. So uh, I feel like we're going to be doing this battle back and forth for quite a while, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I think you're right. But as far as aviation goes, it's been quite the few weeks. We've got 
a lot on, Things have on our list for this episode. And I think the place to start is Pakistan, where uh, since- Nothing good has happened. Yeah, since we last recorded. In the last episode, we talked about a letter that Airbus had sent to operators of the A320 based on the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder readouts that said the aircraft itself, there were no issues with the aircraft itself. So Airbus had nothing to report as far as technical issues and things like that. In the interim, the Pakistani authorities have released their preliminary findings based on examination of the wreckage, air traffic control recordings, the flight data recorder, cockpit voice recorder, and, and, and other information. And the preliminary findings are- Not good. I was going to use the term bizarre. Bizarre, uh, not bad, good, definitely. horrifying. Uh, we'll give you a little spoiler alert. Pakistan International Airlines is now banned from operating into the EU. So that'll tell you where we're going to go with this. And not necessarily because of the crash specifically, but because of information that came out therein. But we'll figure that one out in just a moment. So I, I want to walk back to some of the preliminary findings. Take it from the top. Yeah. So so based on all of the available evidence, the weather was fine where the flight departed, in route, and where it was supposed to land. It begins on the, the 22nd of May at 13.05 hours, and they departed, and the departure and cruise were uneventful. But there's an important sentence here. The crew did not follow standard callouts and did not observe CRM aspects during most parts of the flight. That will prove to be an important thing uh, later on in in the flight. So then they start descending, and they're on approach to to Karachi. And there's a waypoint about about 15 nautical miles from the airport. At which point they were cleared to be at a certain level, and they were cleared to descend to 10,000 feet and then later were cleared for for 5,000 feet and they were then cleared down to 3,000 feet by the time they reached the waypoint Mockley and the aircraft was at 9,780 feet at that point. A bit too high. A bit too high. A bit too fast. The air traffic controller gave them multiple we'll say advisories, options, whatever you want to call it, to orbit, to reduce the altitude, to reduce their speed, and they didn't take it. They advised twice that the aircraft should discontinue the approach, and they they cautioned the aircraft once about excessive height. Neither of those advisories or, or warnings were, were heeded, and the landing approach continued. They were coming down and selected gear down and then raised the gear. That's by far the most confusing part of the entire report. It almost seems like they acknowledged the call from air traffic control to to wave off their approach to go around and raise the gear, but then forgot to do everything that comes after that. Like like they raised the gear and then got distracted by something and then just 
didn't go around. And at that point, they actually did conduct a landing, a gear up landing. So it was a belly landing with the the two engines scraping, I think, for several thousand feet along the runway. And then they took off again, which is not advisable. But there there is some weirdness uh, air traffic control as well in that the approach control never handed the flight off to the local tower, which is a little odd. So, and another oddity is that the information from the local tower that the they landed gear up and that the engines were scraping on the runway was never communicated back to the flight crew of the aircraft, which is that much more confusing. So, it, it, it's not completely the pilots on board the aircraft. There is some weird culpability here with the air traffic controllers, but very strange turn of events that I simply do not understand. Right. And so after scraping scraping along the runway, the pilots activated the reversers and initiated a braking action. There's no gear down. So obviously the brakes aren't going to do anything, but they then apply power to the engines and begin a, a go around after a while, both engines stop working. There is still some investigation to attend to as to why one of the engines stopped working. They said that the one of the engines there was cause to to understand why it stopped working in the first place, but the second one there there's still it, that's still part of the investigation. And then the after both engines stopped working, the ram air turbine deployed and we know how how this ended. Uh, so a very good idea of what happened. Now, you know, looking into the final looking forward to the final report, it'll be interesting to find out why so many things went wrong as well as what was happening on the flight deck because I think that that will obviously be a big part. And there's been some talk about what they were discussing on the flight deck, but I mean without any confirmation, I I think it's something to look forward to as part of a final report uh, to, to see what was happening there. None of that had made its way into the, the uh, preliminary report. Uh, basically, the, the information off the voice recorder is not in that report. There are journalists who claim to have heard the recording. I don't know how that would be possible, but at this point in, in you know, Pakistan, nothing really would surprise me in this investigation. But um, it, it seems as if the initial reports claim that the pilots were distracted by current events and simply just not paying attention to literally anything they were doing. Yeah. And then I guess this is the point where we get into the more recent revelation. Yeah. So as part of of the update on the crash investigation that the aviation minister of Pakistan was providing to the, the Pakistani parliament, he announced that up to 262 of the 860 pilots in Pakistan fraudulently obtained their pilot's license. Cool. They did so generally by paying someone to take the test for them. Yeah. So for some background here, I've gotten a number of people pointing this out that uh, several years back, the Pakistani authorities basically swapped out an international type exam that may have been based off the FAA exam to their own in-house national exam. And every existing pilot had to basically requalify to be licensed. 
And a lot of pilots apparently in the country just did not do that. They they paid someone else to take the exam for them. And apparently, obviously, Pakistan had to have known this because it couldn't have just calculated that number of an exact number of pilots who they suspect had fraudulent licenses just all of a sudden after this crash. It was absolutely known information. And to only reveal that information after a deadly crash is unconscionable in my mind. And I, I'm kind of disappointed it took a couple of, uh, what were we, about two weeks now post-crash for the European Union to ban uh, PIA and really should be all Pakistani airlines at this point because every one of their airlines has some degree of pilots who are, at least in the country's own eyes, not licensed pilots or, or fraudulent uh, licensed pilots. And that's hugely concerning. It, what's incredible to me is that they clearly knew that this was an issue. Especially since they came out in and said, you know, it's 262 out of 860. How that's a right. They very, didn't just make that number. That's a up very or, specific or, number. Yeah. And and so so Pakistan International Airlines has moved to has grounded 150 pilots. I haven't been able to find a figure of how many pilots PIA has out of the 860 pilots in Pakistan total. Uh, but one would assume it would have to be a majority since they're the national carrier. So they've grounded 150 and moved to fire them. So that opens up a, a number of questions in my mind is, is one, that's a very large number. And so how are you going to be able to operate your airline after that? And then two, you know, how long was this? Because there were four pilots who were fired a year ago. So if you knew about those four and did something about it then, why wasn't something done about the two hundred and the the remaining balance, then, and if if this is really just a question of testing, like uh, like take a retaking a test, why let it go that far? Yeah, and and the information that PIA has put out has been nothing short of, of uh, concerning. I would say one of their recent tweets. This is from five days ago already at this point. And I'm quoting, dubious pilot licenses do not pertain to PIA alone. Let it be on record. These licenses were issued by the competent authority and are valid as per their records. So I don't know, but telling me, oh, this isn't just an us problem. It's a countrywide problem is not reassuring. That that certainly, and I said basically that saying that if I was working to reassure the traveling public that my airline was safe. I wouldn't say that. No, calling, well, for one thing, calling the license issuing authority competent when they're clearly incompetent beyond comprehension is ridiculous. But then to say, oh, it's not just us, it's everyone. But when you know it's a problem and you know it's affecting everyone, maybe you should do something about it and not wait until almost 100 people die. Yeah, it's... It's a situation that I don't understand how it got this far. So yeah, maybe I hate to say this, but avoid every Pakistani airline for the uh, foreseeable future. I can't imagine wanting to fly on one of them anytime soon. So uh, take another airline. So the the end result of this, or or the result so far of this, is that Yasa has banned. Pakistan International Airlines for the next six months, beginning the first of July. So, so listening to this on Friday, the ban will have gone into effect, and so they will be banned from 
operating flights into Europe. Right now, they only have seven destinations in Europe. So that it's uh, Oslo, Barcelona, Paris, Milan, and then three in the UK, Birmingham, Manchester, and London. Pakistan announced, and by Friday, we'll know whether or not this actually takes place, but they announced that they're going to operate their London flight as scheduled on the 1st of July, which doesn't make sense given that the ban goes into place on the 1st of July. But maybe they've had some sort of conversation with, with Yasa and the UK's CAA to, uh, to allow that. Uh, but we'll know by Friday. Uh, so when you're listening to this episode, this will have hopefully been explained elsewhere. And, and we'll follow along with that um, and post a, as needed. But just a bizarre bizarre situation. And one that, that seems like it should have been handled when it came up. Yeah, probably. We also didn't, we, we lost over the fact also in the report that it, it mentioned uh, the flight crew was getting all sorts of alerts from the aircraft itself. They were too low. I think uh, some of them were about speed. Some of them were about the, the gear not being down. So not only was this flight crew ignoring the uh, commands issued by air traffic control, but they were ignoring the audible alerts from the aircraft uh, that they were in this situation. So, and I, I hope yeah. other pilots in Pakistan are are more adept at flying their aircraft than this crew. But this is bad, really, really bad. And and it's not to say that those alerts are quiet either. They, no, are, they are they extremely are extremely loud. They are piercingly loud. Yeah, even if you're seated in the first few rows of, of the passenger cabin, you will hear those alerts. So it is an all but impossibility that this the flight crew just did not hear them. So again, the, the final report that, that contains more information on the CVR, I think, is going to be the real the real key as far as this investigation is concerned. Also this week, the 737 MAX certification flights are happening. Today's Tuesday, the 30th of June. Yesterday was the first of three days, they've said, of certification flights between Boeing pilots and, and the FAA and, and engineers. So they conducted two flights on Monday, one from, from Boeing Field out to Moses Lake and then back working uh, on some lower level things, some low speed, some altitude changes and, and things like that. Today, Tuesday has been more of a high altitude, high speed and more of a lateral change. So it kind of looks like slalom. And we'll put the, the link to the, the playback and things like that in the show notes. Uh, so everyone can check that out uh, as well, they like. Well, this is different. This is like the, the first good news we've had yeah. of Boeing and, and a long time. Yeah. Things are finally starting to come together for the Max, I I hope. I mean, they they restarted production. The first Max to roll off the production line after the restart, I think, came out last week for American Airlines. And and so things are, you know, starting to look up as far as getting the aircraft back in the air. It's a long slog still. The reports that I've seen and and some of the guidance I've seen says September at the earliest for any type of certification decision. There's a lot that goes into it besides these flights. There are multiple reports that need to be made. There are multiple international organizations that will have a yeah, hand in a, this this time. That's a big point. At this point, we, we don't know if the certification flights and the process going on now is just going to apply to the USFAA. Or if other countries are, are going to want their entire own process at this point. Yeah, the UAE's 
Civil Aviation Authority said that they would be performing their own review alongside of the FAA's review. There's the Joint Authorities, it's the JOEB, which is the the Joint uh, Official. I don't have it pulled up and don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it's the umbrella organization for international aviation regulators. So they'll also be looking at all of the results as far as this to see if they're satisfied with the results here. And then there's more reports to write. And then there's the final, you know, the final issuance of whether or not the aircraft will be ungrounded. So we are still months away from the 737 MAX being eligible for commercial service. And and that's entirely leaving out the fact that once the aircraft is deemed ready to go, we still airlines still need to update the aircraft software and train their pilots. Yeah, there's that whole uh, looming thing about you know uh, uh, simulator time for pilots, which was a, a big. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And unfortunately, for the it's not all good news. Norwegian canceled 97 orders, 97 Boeing orders, including all of their remaining 92 MAX this week. So there have been others. I think BOC canceled some orders. So things aren't great as far as the order book is concerned, but things are looking up as far as getting the aircraft recertified. Uh, so hopefully all goes well over the next couple of days and we will uh, we'll follow as it moves through the, the certification process. Good luck to Boeing. Indeed. Turning our attention to Europe, today Airbus announced that they would cut 15,000 jobs. 5,000 each in France and Germany, 1,700 in the UK, 900 in Spain, and then the balance at facilities around the world. Yeah. I think your, your deep sigh uh, kind of sums that up. I mean, airlines are cutting jobs, air framers are cutting jobs, suppliers are cutting jobs or, or folding altogether. Airbus says 40% of, of their output is, is what they're targeting. I mean, that, that's just, it's absolutely crazy to me. How yep. quickly, <laughs> I mean, 15,000 people is roughly 10% of Airbus's workforce, which just, I think goes to, to show you, and I was talking about this earlier with you before we started recording, how you know there are so many people supporting the aviation industry. And when you look at the numbers, you know, when, when travel falls and when orders start to dry up, and Jason, I know you're more in tune with the passenger experience side of things. All of these aircraft interior companies don't have they they can't sell to anybody. Yeah, uh, that's a problem, especially since, you know, things are happening like what we just talked about where Norwegian canceled 97 orders. That's 97 aircraft taken out of the backlog of a huge ecosystem of manufacturers. So that's the the seats, the overhead bins, the laboratories, the galley carts, um the engines of the aircraft, that the, everything that goes in, that is now 97 aircraft that aren't being built. And that trickles down through an untold number of employees that are unfortunately being laid off because there's just so much less demand for new aircraft right now. Yeah, it's not a good environment right now by any stretch of the imagination. Some of the other kind of economic tidbits, well, not tidbits because we're talking 
you know, tens of billions of dollars here. But the Lufthansa, we'll call it a bailout, uh, I guess, $10 billion was confirmed. That allows Lufthansa to stay outside of bankruptcy. And there was some concern that their, their shareholders would not go along with that plan. EasyJet is closing bases and cutting staff, approximately 1,300 staff in in the UK and elsewhere are being cut. And there was one more on the list. Oh, uh, Bain Capital wins the Virgin Australia auction. So Virgin Australia will continue a, a smaller airline, kind of positioning it in a middle, a middle tier, I guess, is the plan kind of uh, outside of Qantas, but above, above Jetstar. So that'll be interesting to, into, to see how that all works out there. We've also got American and I believe Air Canada are set to end their middle seat exclusion. Americans ending theirs on the 1st of July. So some changes coming there. And Jason, I think you've been following this uh, pretty closely. Yeah. American had never been blocking every middle seat on board. They had been blocking uh, select middle seats on board. I think every other or every third row and uh, American has taken a very contrary stance to Delta in the US where um, they have really ramped up their leisure flying, specifically focusing on the Gulf of the US and uh, Florida, which in retrospect seems like a horrible idea given everything that's going on down there. But they're pretty much going full throttle at this point. No, no more uh, capping the load on board, no more blocking the middle seat. Air Canada is doing the same. They will notify passengers if a flight is getting full, but that's really a hollow, meaningless gesture at this point since so many routes are, are operating one, maybe two flights a day at this point since capacity is, is so limited and flights are so full due to that. I, I think they were unfairly dragged through the mud by the US CDC today saying that unblocking the middle seat sends the wrong message, but I'd counter with everything the CDC has done since March has sent the wrong message to everyone about everything and calling American out isn't helpful, especially since I think United was never really doing it in the first place. So it's an odd twist, but very contrary things happening in the US. American not blocking the middle seat while Delta is taking the complete opposite along with JetBlue, where they are blocking the middle seats on or adjacent seats on all of their aircraft, at least through the summer. So very interesting. I think we mentioned this last last uh, episode to see the U.S. airlines taking such divergent paths when they usually follow each other so closely. Yeah, and and like we mentioned last episode, someone's going to be right, and it'll yes, be interesting. Going to, to, be it'll right. be interesting to see going who to be less right. But on the other hand, we're starting to finally see a trickle of amenities come back to airlines that were temporarily suspended. So Delta today announced that in first at first class and premium, their premium economy section or their comfort plus section on domestic flights, they will be once again serving alcohol, which is nice. Qantas announced that on their flights that are operating, they're reactivating their free Wi-Fi, which is another nice thing. So it's not all bad news. Some things, I, um, I take a pessimistic stance on this and that once an airline cuts an amenity or an offering, it is virtually impossible to bring that thing back. So I'm kind of impressed that these airlines are actually doing that in such a time of crisis where money is such so tight these days. So that gives me hope. Yeah, I, I think it says a lot about who they're trying to get back 
into the aircraft or onto oh, the totally. aircraft. Delta is going for their premium passenger, their business traveler, the higher revenue passenger, while American is uh, – I'm not going to say they're scraping the bottom of the barrel because that's why Allegiant exists, but American is clearly going after the leisure passenger who just does not care, just wants to get from A to B, middle seat be damned. Yeah. And and then, you know, United's kind of in the, I would say in the middle, but certainly on the more conservative side, they're renewing their service to Asia beginning, I think, next week. So, you know, that with an interesting tag in Seoul. Yeah, Delta is doing the exact same thing as well. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that ends up working out for them. Yeah, and I think in uh, Europe we've seen some airlines come back as well. Brussels Airlines is rebooted. Swiss is also back in action, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. So we don't want to stay too U.S. centric, but things seem Finnair, much more uh, dynamic. Finnair's coming here. back uh, tomorrow. Actually, the first of well, a lot of changes coming back on the first of July. So, so by the time by the time you listen to this on Friday, a number of airlines will have had a few days of a, an increased schedule. Lufthansa is increasing their schedule. What uh, And that's yeah. definitely an interesting point is that uh, in Europe, airlines stopped operating pretty much entirely. A, a whole lot of airlines just stopped. That did not happen in the US. There are no airlines here, it, it really in North America, that, that stopped operating. They were, they're, every airline reduced their schedule uh, pretty dramatically, but nobody just pulled the ripcord and stopped. So that's why things are a, a bit more dynamic here. There's a bit more happening, whereas in Europe, airlines are, are now hitting the play button and getting back into operation. It's very weird. So I was looking at a chart the other day from, from Eurocontrol that shows the increase in flights over the past two weeks. And looking at the number of flights, you're not seeing a, a lot of flights uh, necessarily from European carriers. So Volatea operated 71 flights on the the 29th of June, but that's a 3,450% increase from two weeks ago. So, I mean, they completely stopped. Ryanair is up 330%. Air France is up uh, 11%. So kind of a, a difference in how airlines responded and, and which airlines stopped completely and which airlines have been bringing back their, their traffic already. So yeah, I had been tracking the number of aircraft my ADSB receivers had uh, picked up day by day since mid-March uh, until last weekend where I realized the antennas fell over. So when I picked them back up, the numbers went up quite a bit and skewed and kind of ruined all my data. But it was on the upswing. Uh, one of these days, we're going to get you to to properly mount that antenna. But but I'm not no, I'm not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm not holding my breath. I used duct tape this time to to prop them up right. So we're good for a couple of years. I have never been more proud of you. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about some news that affects uh, one of the biggest stories of the year in aviation so far, as well as some of the other things that airlines are doing to either get back into the swing of things or really lean into some of the COVID-19 inspired changes in the industry. So we'll take a quick break and be right back after this. Welcome back. The French BEA 
has said that it will examine the recorders, the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder from Ukraine Airlines Flight 752 that was shot down uh, in Tehran in January. That was going to happen soon after the incident, but then things kind of became a political stalemate. Now, the French investigative agency says they've been asked to perform repair work on the recorders and then do the technical reading. The responsibility for the investigation and the report still lies with the Iranian investigative authorities, but all of the technical work will be done by the French. So, Still can't believe that was this year. I, I told you uh, we were talking, I think, yesterday, and I told you this has been the longest January 7th of my life. And, and it, it feels like the, from that day, it, it just has been one long day as far as everything else that has happened this year. But that work is set to begin the 20th of July or the week of the 20th of July. It'll be interesting to to see how the recorders make it up to Paris if an aircraft is sent to retrieve them or, or if an Iranian aircraft flies them over. Uh, but we'll definitely be keeping tabs on that to see when that comes. Let's go with some good news and switch things up a bit and say that China's uh, three major carriers each took delivery of their first ARJ-21s. Hooray! Uh, if you don't remember, I'm sure you do because th- these are very popular aircraft. Our listeners are ARJ-21 aficionados, I'm sure. Who is not? Who would not love an aircraft that is some sort of hybrid monster mix between an MD-88 and a CRJ-200? Is that an, an accurate assessment or am I getting the wrong amalgamation of aircraft? I mean, I, I think I always go like a – like a, a DC nine and something else, but I'll take I'll take mm. what I'm given. Okay, yeah, it's some sort of mix of a regional jet and a McDonnell Douglas T tail. Uh, pick your own, choose your own adventure. I don't there care. You go. Uh, it's an aircraft nobody wants, but airlines are being forced to order because you know China. So China Southern, Air China, and China Eastern were all forced to accept their first three frames the other day. China. Eastern was the only airline smart enough to create an entire new subsidiary and a new brand, a new airline, just to operate this aircraft. So it's separated from its main brand. So whatever this aircraft does, it won't damage the China Eastern brand. But triple deliveries are cool no matter what the aircraft is. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. I thought the the airline that they created is uh, is interesting. OTT What's Airlines. What's the name again? One, two, three airlines. Cool. Yeah, I thought that was neat. But they took delivery, really a, a precursor to eventually taking delivery of the C919. So yeah, that's where things get interesting. That, that'll be when, when fun things really start happening. But, yes. but this will be the, uh, an interesting interim Yeah, operation. the ARJ is an aircraft nobody wants, but has to, has to happen. And we actually do know someone who's flown on an ARJ. That's true. That's true. We, yeah, we, Seth Miller. Yeah, we uh, talked about it a in, while back. I will. I will dig into our archives. I believe we talked with Seth about uh, his his flight on the ARJ. So uh, we'll put that one in the show notes. Let's see what else is there. Knock era's gone. Bye. Unfortunately, they, uh, never made a profit. Yeah, they. The board of directors decided to liquidate rather than than keep on fighting, and and, and Leah, the Caribbean character character carrier, is in pre liquidation 
Yeah, they'll they'll be unfortunately gone. They they were a rather important carrier down in the Caribbean, who had issues for the last several years. Never really recovered after one of the major hurricanes. But Liat was always always the butt of a lot of jokes of just monstrously late flights, uh, extra stops appearing on your flight route without uh, being notified, taking a bunch of extra stops. But uh, that's sad. That's a nice little airline. Emirates is is in the news or is in our news I should say twice one they will convert 10 of their 777300ERs into the not freighter configuration not they're not actually going to to cut a door in them but they're doing the the covid PPE remove the seats covid combi yeah the put in the straps and things like that I was racking my brain to find out to get that in my head. So yes, that's what I was looking for. Uh, so they're doing that. They've also announced that the A380 will return to service. They've all been parked for, for quite some time. On the 15th of July, they will return the A380 to service on the Paris and London routes. And that's exciting yeah. because there's been nothing but bad news for the A380 recently. Air France just the other day flew their last A380 to the uh, where? Where did they fly it exactly? Not a boneyard. No, they, but, they flew. Uh, well, they, they did their last with passengers on it. They took a, employees, like pilots, flight attendants, maintenance personnel, and things like that. Anyone associated with the A380 program at Air France, they they performed a special flight around France and things like that. And then they're all going into long-term storage. Yeah. So uh, you, Joe Listener, will probably never be on an Air France A380 again. Uh, Lufthansa at the same time announced they will likely never be returning to their Frankfurt hub. They'll only maybe be operating out of Munich uh, eventually one day. And Qantas will be grounding their A380s until at least 2023. Yeah. They're actually going so far as to send them all to the US for long-term storage. So so a, a good chance that – I mean the A380 fleet comes out of this – I mean not even a good chance. It will happen. The A380 fleet globally will come out of this much reduced. Uh, yeah. It's sad. And at the same time, Qantas uh, did acknowledge that its 747 fleet is officially – no more. Right. We we talked about this. Well, I don't even know how many months ago. At this point, I don't. What day is it? Where where are we? Well, they they announced it sim- almost simultaneously with KLM, but never really acknowledged it. Right. They they performed a few flights and they performed photo passes over the Sydney Harbor, and so we were all really led to believe that that was it. Um, but they didn't officially announce anything until uh, last week. So now it's official. The Qantas 747s are done. There's one more in Sydney that has yet to fly up to the US for its retirement in the desert. So find them, find them where you can. And therefore, the 747-400ER is no more. Is no more. Yeah. So uh, another of the the subtypes to exit the global aviation fleet. Uh, yeah. One, uh, once again, if you were biding your time to fly one of the what I call weirdo aircraft, you have waited too long. And odds are you will never fly on a 747 again. You will probably never find an A380 again, unless you fly Emirates or maybe British Airways these days. You'll probably never fly on an A340 again. You will never fly on an MD-80 again. Um, The number of aircraft that are not going to survive COVID is more than I would like it to be. Yeah. 
Yeah. The number the numbers do keep rising. MD90. You will never fly on an MD90 again. No, you won't. I mean, you probably never did in the first place, well, but you never will but now. now. Now you definitely won't. On the other side of things, there there are some airlines that are are finding kind of new footing. The European Aviation Group will do a COVID combi for two A340-600s. So you will fly an A340 again if you are a box. If you, if you are a box of personal protective equipment, you have a very good chance of flying on an A340. So all of that uh, massive changes in the aviation industry over the past couple of weeks with you know the ground kind of not not settling, not shifting beneath our feet, but just finally starting to move in the way that we unfortunately thought it would start to move. But things, dare I say, starting to maybe sort of look up. I I can't tell. We are beyond rock bottom for now. Yeah, it, it's not even a, it. It's it's one of those things where it it's so bad that it has to get better. Oh, we we forgot the one constant. The Air India sale deadline has been extended. Uh-uh. I'll have to submit a new so bid. So if you want to if you want to buy Air India, you can still submit a bid. You could probably pick it up pretty damn cheap right now. But would you want it? The answer was always no. And and thus that answer has continues. not changed and will never change. So no. So here we sit. But yeah, things are things. I it's very difficult for me to to provide a comprehensive answer to how things are going. But uh, things are things. things it, when you're things are printing moving. out some more yeah. t-shirts to send out people who uh, submitted reviews, yes. can you put that on the back? Absolutely. Things are Absolutely. Yes, we should start doing quotes for that. Speaking of t-shirts, they are still coming. I'm working my way through the backlog. If you haven't gotten yours yet, please be patient. We're, we're still doing all of those things. Social distancing plus the post office makes things rather less exciting than the post office even normally is. So we're getting that done. And I'm moving as, as quickly as I can with that because I, I do appreciate everyone who did write in and, and was very thankful for that. So, so thank you for that. And we will talk to you next episode because this has been episode 88 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.